0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to first Samuel first Samuel. It's I guess the ninth book in the Old Testament It's after right after Judges and Ruth right before or a little bit before first and second Kings there in the Old Testament. There's a pew Bible at the end of the, the pews there if you uh, would would need one. You're welcome to uh, to use that certainly during our worship time. And and as as we turn there, I'll remind us again that as we look at the scriptures, we're always asking sort of two general questions. You know, who is God and who are we? What does it say about who God is? What does it say about who we are? And, and then of course asking a couple of individual questions as we zoom in and look at the book of First Samuel in particular. Uh, who is king? It's a book about kings. The question is prompted for us right from the beginning. Who is king? And then what, it, what does it look like to live in God's kingdom? Uh, we're going to see as we walk through in the next uh, weeks and months through this book of 1 Samuel, a number of issues that, that come up. We already saw last week the issue of Hannah wrestling with uh, uh, what we would call infertility and entrusting God with the children the Lord had provided for. And uh, we're going to see this week uh, some truths about the impact of sort of wayward uh, parenting and, and uh, negligence in, in our uh, children uh, and their struggles that they face. Uh, We're going to see the importance of religious leaders really seeking after the Lord versus seeking after their own interests. We'll see those two things just today. In the coming weeks, we're going to explore the idea of, of trusting the one invisible divine king. Uh, versus trusting in earthly leaders that we so easily hope in. And we'll also see how prone we are to trust those who are particularly charismatic or their appearance draws us to them uh, as opposed to those who are maybe more godly of character and upstanding. Uh, We'll uh, look as the weeks go forward at our danger of pursuing our calling just for personal fulfillment, the calling that God has for us instead of pursuing it ultimately to glorify God. We'll look at the hypocrisy of the way that we sometimes like to offer some sacrifices to God to sort of placate him for the disobedience that we plan to go ahead and practice. And, of course, at some point in there, we will get to David and Goliath and look not just how God can help us with our giants, so to speak, but ultimately what God working through David reveals about God's plan for our salvation. As we turn to these specific verses today, though, it may help us if you weren't able to be with us last week to just know that uh, Samuel is this uh, son of Hannah. Hannah had prayed in chapter one of this book that that uh, God would work in in uh, her life. And God blessed through this birth of Samuel. And then she entrusted her kind of commitment her uh, bargain, if you will, through prayer with the Lord was that she would Take that son Samuel and allow him to attend to these uh, duties underneath this this priest Eli in a sort of apprenticeship where he's learning to be both a judge. He's kind of the last of the judges, so we're carrying that idea forward, and he's the first of the prophets in a sense, prophet to the kings who would come afterwards. So that's a general bit of information we need to know, and then also specifically because we're going to read through a little passage here that you might want to get lost in about sacrifices and the sacrifices they brought. It'll just be helpful for you to know up front that the customary way of offering this burnt sacrifice uh, was for there to be some sharing between the the offering, the animal offered and the priest that they would customarily eat that after it was cooked and so forth. Some for the priest some for the one offering it. So I hope that will help you to get some uh, perspective and understanding as we walk through these verses. Let me read them to you as you read along silently, starting in verse 12 of 1 Samuel, chapter 2. It says, now the sons of Eli, this is Hophni and Phinehas were their names, were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests... Ofni and Phineas were the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three pronged fork in hand and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This was what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now. And if not, I'll take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year that she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, that's Hannah. May the Lord give to you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear from the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli, and he said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father? He's talking about Aaron and the priesthood before the house of his forefathers. When they were in Egypt, subjects to the house of Pharaoh. Did I choose him out of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire and the people of Israel. Why, then, do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people, Israel? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, declares the Lord, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming and I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on the prosperity that will be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of whom you shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out and grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to all that is in my heart and in my mind. And I'll build a sure house and he will go in and out before my anointed forever And everyone who's left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we know that all of us are like grass and all our glory is like the flower of the fields. Grass withers. A flower fades but not your word it stands forever and so we pray that you would teach us through it and minister to us. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Religious leader embezzles funds from charitable organization. Son of prominent first church members. Commits horrible crime. Father befuddled, but neighbors cite parental negligence. Church pastor runs off with choir member. We've probably all seen headlines along these lines. In fact, it would seem that uh, folks in the media world love to dish those things up to us. But the fascinating thing about our passage today is that we don't have to look to the headlines for that piece of news. It's right here in first Samuel chapter two. And as we look at these verses, the Lord aims to bring to our minds some sobering reality. You know, some of those passages you look at are kind of flowery and encouraging and a lot of joy, a lot of uplifting, a lot of celebration. Uh, This is not really one of those today, in case you hadn't figured out already. The Lord wants us to see uh, not only some implications for what we ought to expect and hope for and look for in uh, those who lead us as a church body. uh, But also for our lives uh, individually and and not only some lessons for us about uh, children kind of reverencing and respecting their parents wishes and parents struggling to parent our children, whatever age and stage they may be, but ultimately about the worship of the Lord. And about God's calling for each one of us to recognize his presence, the importance of his majesty, the importance of his holiness in our worship of him. In all of this, because it's all pretty convicting for each one of us in different ways, in all of this, we're ultimately going to be pointed, as we saw in those last few verses, forward to this perfect priest, this perfect one who will bring redemption bring mercy and will rightly rule over God's people. We might put it this way, and if you want to follow along in the back of your worship guide, the sermon notes section, the the main idea we can take away is this. We should honor God in the practice of authentic worship, looking to Christ, our perfect priest. We should honor God in the practice of authentic worship, looking to Christ, our perfect priest. It's interesting, we, didn't, we already read a lot of verses. I know you were feeling it was a bit tedious there, I'm sure. But we didn't want to reread the first part of the passage today just for time's sake. But the first ten verses of chapter two are interesting because we read them at the end of our time last week, seeing how they were thankful expression of song and praise from Hannah for God allowing her to have Samuel. But, but they're not only sort of looking back on what God had done for Hannah, These verses in the song at the beginning, look forward. Just listen to verses nine and ten of uh, first Samuel, chapter two, in this song that Hannah is singing. She says he will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness for not by might shall a man prevail. Adversaries of the Lord will be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He'll give strength to his king and exalt the power of. Of his anointed. These are themes that we're going to see playing out all the way through the book of 1 Samuel, but we already see it right here, right off the bat, in the second part of chapter 2 with Hophni and Phineas and Eli. A couple of things we see that you probably already picked up on. Number one, we, we see what happens when there's just a, a failure to really worship God as he desires for us to worship him. If you look at verses 12 through 17, uh, we just read it. It tells us right off the bat, it's not like you've got to decipher it. It says, these guys were worthless, <laughs> you know, no holds barred. And then it says, hey, they didn't know God. So these folks are leading the people of God. In the worship of God. And they don't know God. They haven't experienced him. They don't have a relationship with him. It goes on and it talks about this issue with the fork. And I can't even on all the study I did this week decipher all of the intricacies of this system with the fork. But but I think I get the picture and maybe you do as well you know i don 't know if uh, Hoffney had you know crazy hoffney 's uh, infomercial that he was doing for his special fork you know you 've heard of the one prong fork you 've heard of the two pronged fork i 've got the three pronged fork you know three installments of nine shekels and you can get your own uh, three pronged fork that 'll bring up twice as much meat as the other one but they 're poking this fork into this meat that people are coming and seeking to offer as a sacrifice to the Lord. It's obvious they're supposed to share some of it with the priest. That's how he's supposed to get his provision. But you get the picture. They're digging that fork in as far as they can, right? They're not just making a hard press for some donations. They're in the pockets of the people coming up to offer these sacrifices, Uh, It'd be a little bit, I guess, like uh, on the financial part of offering. There's more to this offering than the material part of it. But it'd be like uh, folks from the church leadership showing up at the HR department at your work. And instead of sort of us passing around the plate and saying, hey, we'll receive and we invite you to give and we encourage you to give. Showing up at the HR department and putting a garnish on your wage for the payment. Right They're 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 in that pot getting all that they want out of it. It sounds a little antiquated to us, but we get the idea and uh, the Lord's about to stick a fork in these guys, isn't he? Second thing we see there, there's probably even more obvious, although, again, we don't it's hard for us to get all this as we're not in a sacrificial system kind of world on a day to day basis. But they bring this piece of meat and it was supposed to be raw and then they were supposed to cook it and then divide it up. Now, again. I don't know if Hoffney and Phineas got some kind of special Cajun spice in the back that they like to use on their meat or what their motivation is entirely for this. But it sounds like that's probably the case. They don't they don't want to receive the meat cooked by the other people. They want to get it and make it themselves. So what's all this stuff about? It's about them. They're saying, hey, this is all about me. Uh, maybe a comparison would be along these lines. Imagine if for communion, instead of us having the church providing these crackers and the, uh, the wine, the juice up front uh, for you all and us coming to partake. Imagine if you brought your own. OK, so everybody's bringing their own crackers and juice or wine or whatever each week and bring it into our worship time. But, but instead of us having it, so you bring it in, instead of us sort of collecting it up front here and then us having a ceremony of time together, uh, I take it all off and I put the Peters boys over in the corner there and just breakfast time, right? Get that juice, hit that juice, hit those crackers as much as you can. They're, they're, they're siphoning off something that is supposed to be for the Lord. They're manipulating their religious power for ends and, and we've seen this we see this in the new testament you remember that uh, situation where Jesus comes into the temple you guys remember that and he comes into the temple and he is upset and he's upset he's upset about the money changing tables and he gets very angry and knocking everything over and throwing things around and you sort of say where's this picture of loving gracious Jesus i thought he was kind of merciful and and uh, just you know warm and fuzzy well he's mad he's upset and he's upset a little bit because there's a, a, an ethnic thing going on where the, they're favoring the, the Jews over the Gentiles. And he wants to welcome everybody in. So he's a little bit upset about that. But he's upset about the religious leaders abusing their power, not welcoming people in to worship. Verse 17, it makes it really clear their sin is great before the Lord. You know, those things that really affect uh, people and kind of take things away from them, especially the lowly and the needy are pretty disturbing for us this last uh, week. Some of us may have heard about in our community. I know I saw it across some headlines of Facebook and so forth, uh, an individual. And I won't go into the details. And we're all innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. But who's been charged with something like one hundred and fourteen counts, this business person and and the charges are related to a, a medical billing business that he had. Where money that was supposed to go from the government to help the poor with their health care needs was siphoned off, was pulled off for his own personal benefit. And I thought about it this week. I was like, well, why why is everybody all focused in on this? Well, because it's disturbing. It's especially disturbing when it affects those who are needy. And there's all kinds of people coming to the worship of the Lord. And these religious leaders are they're not doing their job. They're not doing what they're called to do. In fact, they're abusing it greatly. So we see that and then we hardly, you know, it's like an afterthought in the passage. Verse 22, as devastating as this further information is, Eli's very old. And he says he kept hearing that his sons were laying with the women who were serving at the entrance of the meeting house. OK, so th- this is all wrong in every way. A couple of things we uh, need to see here. Boy, we, we need to pray. For those who are in leadership in the church body, I desire for y'all's prayers for me. Because this is a passage that reminds us how far off track we can uh, very easily get. So we need to be praying that way, and we need to be holding folks accountable too. That's part of what I'd, I'd like about our system, our structure, the connectivity within our denomination, because there's an accountability structure for me as your pastor. And I think that ought to be the case. I think we need that. And these guys are unaccountable. We'll see that in a minute. It's more of a family dynamic than it is a, a church sort of dynamic, but it's, it's definitely unaccountable. I think the other part of this, though, because that's maybe a little bit removed for us, is just the reality that God is greatly concerned with how we approach him, isn't he? It's not something sort of flippantly that we should take. It's, It's very important. He's a holy God. He's majestic. And the reason he's upset about Hophni and Phinehas is, yeah, they're doing all these horrible things, but they're they're ultimately not helping the people come and draw close to the Lord. Last thing we see from this first Part of our passage, and and I'll just state it this way for the sake of time. You know, it's easy that we see that there's some sexual sin involved here. Verse twenty two. It's easy to think in our own time that we're the first ones that have ever had to as a body of believers, as a church community, as a church countrywide, have to kind of define what it is that sexuality and spirituality are about. Right. We can feel like we're the first people that have ever had to work that issue out because of some of the things that are on the move in our culture. Not so. The folks of the Old Testament, they had to have a command back in Numbers, Numbers chapter 25, to remind the people not to do this kind of practice. So Hophni and Phinehas, they they had to have a statement to say, don't do this. You want to know why? Because this was a common sort of religious practice. I don't get it exactly, the interaction of the sexuality and the, you know, the gathering at the worship temple and so forth. But it was a common thing. And the believers were called out from that to be distinctive, just as we recognize today. The beauty of sexuality is intended between a man and a woman in a marriage covenant relationship. The Old Testament people, they had to define themselves in contrast to the culture around them. Second thing we see, we see the consequences of what happens with Hophni and Phinehas and with Eli. I'll say again, it's a little hard for me to discern, even having studied the passage all throughout the week. Uh, Hophni and Phinehas obviously held responsible for their actions, the actions they're taking. But Eli's at fault as well. Eli is at fault as well. There's some level of negligence on his part. And there's some lessons, I think, for us to be learned, especially in the parenting realm for it. Uh, for children, there's certainly an admonition here that we young ones ought to listen to the, the way that those over you in your church setting or school setting and certainly in your home setting are seeking to lead you in the Lord. The sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they don't listen to their dad. They don't listen to the encouragement that he gives them to get back on track. Okay, so we've got that side to it, certainly. But even more than that, as you look down at the uh, sort of curse that's brought on uh, Eli, he talks about the fact, if you look at verse 27, that uh, this man of God, we don't know who it is, some kind of person that God raised up to confront Uh, Eli Talks about the fact that, hey, Eli, you've had all these privileges. Your your family is in a line that was called out and set apart to this special purpose. Because that was the way the Old Testament priesthood worked. And and they were even given a promise that, you know, for here on forward, you're going to be serving in this way. And we're even going to provide for you through this mechanism of these offerings. And, And the man of God says, Eli, you've been negligent. You've been negligent. You have failed to deal with this issue with your sons. And more than that, we'll read later that Eli was a, a an obese fellow. And, and the man of God confronts him, doesn't he? he says, you've been also benefiting from this. So the sons have been perpetrating the direct crime, but they've been handing it off to the father. So he's not only gained from it, but he's been negligent about it. And, and I don't want to be too too hard on us uh, here in this sense, um, Parents, and let's talk about fathers first, but moms, this, you know, certainly relates to you. But since this passage is about Eli as a father, we'll focus in on that. Uh, Many out in our world uh, simply don't remain uh, faithful to their family and to their marriage commitment. We recognize that. Many don't do the diligent work that so many here are doing to provide for your household and go to your job each day and do that. Uh, many aren't doing what so many of you here do, of prioritizing worship and seeking in different ways to lead your family, your spouse, your your children to the Lord. So I want to acknowledge that we're, we're, we're not the same people as Eli. At the same time, we've all got that tendency, don't we? To be so distracted a lot of times by the good things of life, not necessarily by bad things. To be so distracted that we miss the opportunity to do the things that we need to. There's a lot of good things our kids uh, can do. Maybe achieve some things in the, the academic world. we get got the school principal here, so we don't want to not say that. Good thing to do well in school. Get your, uh, get your training that way for the youngsters. Good to help our kids be well-mannered. Not a bad thing to help our kids eat some healthy food and be you know, in good shape uh, physically. Not, not bad to have our youngsters involved in different activities and athletics, but it is so easy for us to get focused on all those things and forget the words that the man of God confronts Eli with those who honor me. I'll honor those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. That's the crucial thing that we ought to be seeking to get into the lives of our young ones in our church body collectively and as parents, that they would understand and see the beauty of honoring the Lord in their lives and that when they do, He'll honor them. He'll work powerfully. And, of course, our passage gives us a beautiful example of that. And we'll kind of begin to land a plane for this message with uh, these verses, starting in verse 18. The contrast is obviously intentional here. You saw it the, as this chapter is being laid out by the writers of Scripture. They purposefully are interspersing mentions of Samuel, aren't they? They mention in verse 18 that he was ministering before the Lord and that his family comes to worship. I think it's funny. They still kept coming. Imagine well, the people are still coming. His family is still being faithful. I guess that's a sign of how deeply committed they were to their relationship to the Lord. I mean, I guess there wasn't another church. You couldn't find another place to go to. But this, these, you know, priests are just uh, literally sticking it to everybody with the fork. And, and, and these guys are still, this family is still coming to worship. Uh, still trying to uh, to seek him that way. And it goes on. If you look down in verse 26, it says the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So I mentioned several times here what's going on with Samuel. And here's here's the picture for us. The picture is OK. In contrast to Eli, who seems negligent and his sons who are just running amok. We have Hannah, who in chapter one is in a desperate place. She realizes she can't do this on her own. She can't even have a child on her own. She's realized. She calls out to God. And she says, I'm going to the best I can. I'm going to trust my child to you. And then God is is honoring that. He's working through her commitment and her desire to see that happen. And we see Samuel growing in stature and favor. Anybody know what that sounds like? Now, I don't want to read too much into it. But you remember the description of Jesus in Luke Uh, Chapter two, I think it is. Verse 40. It says that he grew in stature and favor with man. I put one other thing in there. Do you remember where Jesus went when he got lost and the parents couldn't find him? He was hanging out at the temple. What's Samuel doing? He's not just hanging out there. He's a sign there, but he's, he's there. Okay, these, these are pictures for us, precursors to who Christ would be for us. And, and that, that's not even really the icing on the cake. Look at, look at this last part with me. So you're seeing Samuel in contrast to what's happening with Hophni and Phinehas. And that should give us hope. Okay? Our children are not going to live out their lives perfectly. They need to know about God's grace and about God's forgiveness as much as they need to know about obedience and God's commands. Because they're going to fall and stumble just like we are. But... This passage is reminding us with Samuel that that as we entrust our young ones to the Lord, that that God is often pleased to really do a, a powerful thing. And we can see that happen. And then we see at the end of the verses, verse thirty five, it says this. So Hophni and Phinehas are out. They're going to be done. And all this stuff happens later in the book of first Samuel. And it says this. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. All right. This is one of those passages. It's going to be fulfilled with this guy named Zadok and another guy named Abiathar that we'll see later in first Samuel. A couple of priests that come later. But who's the ultimate fulfillment of this? Hebrews. If you want to turn there, you can with me. This will be our last passage. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 says this. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I'm sorry. I'm starting in 11. Jump down to 14 with me. Since then we have a great high priest. Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest. Who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect. Has been tempted as we are. Yet without sin. Let us then with confidence. Draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy. And find grace. To help in our time of need. I'm not going to be. The perfect religious leader. A perfect pastor for our congregation. I've got my many flaws. And sins and shortcomings. You all. As those coming to seek to worship the Lord and offer a sacrifice to him and be engaged as his people and come to know him, uh, fall short of God's glory as well. Here's the beauty. The Lord's brought for us. They were looking forward to it. We look back on it. A priest in the Lord Jesus Christ who's perfect, who offers up himself. He's the priest and the sacrifice simultaneously offering up his own life for you and me so that we can, uh, can rightly, joyfully, gladly, full of God's grace and knowing God's truth, come in and come to know Him in worship and in celebration. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise You that You have not left us without a faithful priest, without a faithful... Faithful one to allow us to draw near and to know you, the holy God. Uh, Lord, we confess that the tendencies that we see in Hophni and Phinehas uh, amplified, Lord, are nevertheless present in our own hearts. We're selfish people. Uh, We don't really want the things of you. We want the things of us. Lord, we're negligent in a lot of things and frequently that way in our parental calling. And and yet you, Lord, have chosen to allow us to know you, not because of anything that we've done, but because of the merciful love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's come as a high priest uh, not in some just in some general way, but specifically for us. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.